Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. So the story of Ruth, it starts this, it sets the scene with this saying that in the time of the judges in Israel, there was a famine in the land. And we had just finished the book of Judges. If you've read through that, that's a crazy book, and we could talk a lot about that. But during this time, it's in that window of time that this story of Ruth happens. And in this story, during this time of the judges, they were ruling in Israel. There's a huge famine. And this family, uh, who was led by the husband, Elimelech, he, he decides to take his family, his wife, Naomi, and two of their boys, and go into Moab because there's no food there. They have nothing they can do, right? They've got to move. They've got to get out. It's like, um, it's like housing prices in California. They couldn't buy a house. Nothing was affordable. They're like, we're going to Texas. That's basically what they were saying. We've got to get out. And so they, they take, he takes his family, and they're there. And while they're in the land of Moab, uh, the husband dies. And while they're there, the boys, they decide to marry two Moabite women. And it says that after a, a span of another 10 years, both boys die. I don't know what's going on along in the land of Moab, but men, beware. <laughs> and so they decide, uh, Naomi says, look, here in Moab, there's no laws here that care for, for widows. They, they, they don't have anything that's going to take care of us. But back in Israel, there's laws there that they're going to hopefully take care of us. I've got nothing left. And she tells the two daughters, two daughter-in-laws, go back to your families and they'll take care of you. Go back to the home of your fathers. And one of the daughter-in-laws Says, no, I don't want to. And she says, no, go. And so she decides, okay, reluctantly she goes back. But Ruth, it says, clings to her mother-in-law, to Naomi. And in Ruth, uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, she says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she demonstrated her loyalty to Naomi. And so they return back to Bethlehem where Naomi is from. And she changes her name, the Bible tells us, from Naomi to Mara. And if you remember a while back, we read about a story about Mara. It means bitter. And she says, I left this country full and full of joy and I've come back empty and bitter. So she enters back into her land. And this first chapter of Ruth demonstrates something to us that all of us have experienced potentially in our lives. It, it starts out with death and bitterness. And I think a lot of us perhaps have walked through things in our lives where we've experienced death and bitterness, especially in these last this last year, year and a half of things just seemed like continuing to hit us and crumble us. And we can relate to this first chapter of Ruth. It feels like I've left full, but now I'm coming back empty coming back heavy. Things are hard. Things are heavy on me. My heart is heavy. I feel like I'm becoming bitter. Chapter 1 sets the scene. In the time when the judges ruled Israel, it says that there is no king. There was no king. And that's important for us to note because really what it's saying is in that time, people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And it reminds me a lot about today. People, people have their own truth that they live by. 
and they do what they want to do because it seems right in their own eyes. And often we learn that as we read through Judges, horrible consequences happen when people do what they think is right in their own eyes. You can read the last two chapters of Judges. It's horrible, horrible what happens. And the reason it happens is because there's no king in the land. There's no one that established the rule of truth in their lives. And you can see how death and bitterness follows those who say, I live my truth and I do what I want and I don't care who gets hurt in my wake. And this is what happens in this story. And yet the story begins to shift the moment chapter 2 arrives because we're introduced to this man named Boaz. Boaz. There's a lot of jokes I could say about Boaz, but I'm not going to say it because some of you might know it and other things it's not appropriate. <laughs> Boaz. Oh, I wanted to say it, but I'm not going to. But the Bible says Boaz was a man worthy uh, uh, of being called uh, noble or he had noble character in him. And it says that Ruth begins to collect the barley that is left behind of the harvesters, which was commanded by God through the law of Moses. He says when in the law of Moses, he says, when you are harvesting your crops, leave some along the edges so that the poor and the widows can come and gather for himself. So we know that Boaz is a man who honor God's word and his command because he's doing that. And then he, Boaz says he sees her and he begins to ask his young men and the workers around her, who is this young lady? And they say, this is the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. And he's heard about her and he knows her noble character. That when the other daughter-in-law left and went back to her home, she clinged to her and said, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm loyal. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. And he heard about her character. And he goes and tells her in Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law mother since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to be to a people that you did not know before. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have, become, you have come to take refuge. And then we understand that Boaz allows her to collect grain, even from the wheat and the barley that hadn't been picked yet. He says, let her get her full. He tells, her, tells his, his, his team, don't touch her. Keep your hands off of her and don't rebuke her when she collects more than you think she should. And then Ruth goes back to Naomi and tells her all about her day and about Boaz. And it comes out that he is a family redeemer, or some translations say a kinsman redeemer. And according to the laws of Israel established by Moses, if a man marries and he dies before, before having children or heirs, their next closest relative was supposed to take on the widow and care for her and uh, give her children so that that person who died before their time could have children and, and keep their inheritance in the land. So they would, they would, at their own financial detriment, they would say, I'll take you in because I'm not going to reap any benefit from this because my name's not going to be on it. It's not going to be passed down to my children. It's going to be for my, ancestor, my, my relative who has already died so that your name is not blotted out in the nation of Israel. That was part of the law. And it comes to find out that as she's gleaning in the land and she's, she goes into the fields, by happenstance, somehow, she happens to find herself in Boaz's, Boaz's farm on his property, gleaning from him. And as the story continues in chapter 3, Naomi devises a plan for Ruth to go to Boaz and seek redemption for their family, meaning 
uh, that he would marry her and redeem the family that Elimelech had passed and his inheritance had been, before it had been given away to give heirs for him. And the author establishes for us as the readers that Boaz was a man of noble character and Ruth was a woman of noble character. And in fact, the language that the author uses for Ruth is the same language used for Proverbs 31 of a godly woman. He uses the same language there. And at the end of chapter 3, we see Naomi setting another plan into motion. Don't you love planners? Come on, you've got to have somebody in your life who plans. Who's got a planner out for you and say, hey, on this and such and such date, we're going to do this. This is my wife, Faith. She does that for me. Without her, I would live by the seat of my pants. Well, which would be dirty because I wouldn't have washed them because I didn't plan to do laundry. So we need planners. Thank God that Ruth had Naomi as a planner. She was devising plans. And she sets into motion and she tells Ruth, stick closely to Boaz's people and just glean in his field and and reap uh, the harvest from him. And in chapter 4, we understand that Boaz then arranges to marry Ruth. And it demonstrates his loyalty to God and his loyalty to God's commandments and his loyalty to his family. If you want to know what a man or a woman of noble character looks like, it looks like a man or a woman who is loyal to God, loyal to his commandments and loyal to his family. So Boaz marries Ruth and she becomes pregnant with with a son and they name him Obed. And this story started with death and bitterness, and now by chapter 4, it's filled with life and joy. And at the end of chapter 4, we see this genealogy that shows that Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, who they considered one of the greatest kings of all of Israel, but within David's line, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come. And so this little story in the Old Testament, four chapters long, we see how God orchestrated things together in the storyline and fit Ruth into the coming of the Messiah. So the story of an immigrant, a widow, and a farmer. Come on, somebody. If that's you, raise your hand. The story of an immigrant, a widow, and a farmer we see the providential hand of God working behind the scenes. In this story, God is mentioned by the main characters, but we never see God acting directly to orchestrate any of these things. We don't see in the text that then God did this and then God uh, encouraged them to go here. We, we, see, we see things happening and we have to say that there has to be something here, but we don't see a direct move of God to make these things happen. And yet, because we know the outcome of the story, we know that it leads to the, a great king of Israel, the greatest king also of Israel, Jesus, we know that God's hand is in all of it. So our question this morning then is, what can we learn from this story and how does it speak to us today? Here's, here's my thing, church. This is not just a love story about a girl in a foreign land who goes to another foreign land and finds her Boaz. This is not a love, just a love story. This is a story of, of God, of how God restores those who look to him for hope. It's a story about how God 
has a covenantal faithfulness with us. That he contributes to the overall uh, storyline that's in the Bible. That God, using ordinary, mundane stories to weave them into his overarching picture of what he can do with those who are loyal and faithful. The author has gone to great care to honor Ruth and Naomi and Boaz through the development of their characters in this story, these four chapters. And they are character studies of how God works in mundane, everyday events in the lives of people and how God honors those who honor others and how God desires for people to be loyal and faithful to each other as they are faithful and loyal to him. Ruth is an outsider. She's an immigrant, a Moabite of all people. And if you remember reading through Numbers 25, you might be a little weary of the Moabite women because they are said that, that came into the Israelite camp and caused them to sin. So Israel knows their history. They're like, hold on. We don't know if we can trust this lady. But because she was loyal and faithful, and she said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. It demonstrated a heart of faithfulness and a desire to commit to Yahweh and commit herself to the people of God. She makes an offer to marry Boaz in an upstanding way that's culturally honorable. If you read in chapter 3, I would encourage you now today, young ladies, to go find a, a man and uncover his feet and lay at them at night. That would be kind of awkward now. First of all, they'd be like, how'd you get in my house? Right? But back then, it was completely cultural, accept, uh, culturally acceptable, and it was honorable and God honored Ruth's integrity and diligence in weaving her into the bigger story of salvation. We see Boaz, he's a no-nonsense farmer, a man of character, principle and responsibility. He offered a model of obedience to God's law, the Torah, the five first five books of our Old Testament and the way he treated the poor. We see that he followed Leviticus chapter 18 and leaving space for them to work the fields, to care for the widows and the poor in his community. We see that he followed Deuteronomy chapter 24 and 25 as he uh, redeemed Naomi's endangered lineage and according to the family marriage law. He even sees that in the story, he tells them, I'll marry you, but I found out there's one closer to redeem you than me. But he finds out this guy wants to just defraud them, not marry Ruth. He just wants the land for himself. And he says, oh, wait, you have to marry her first. And the guy's like, oh, I don't want to do all that. And he's like, I'll do it. At his own financial detriment, he wasn't making money off of this. He wasn't procuring more land for himself. He wasn't growing his name. And yet God uses his integrity to save a widow's family. And he becomes part of the ancestry of the Messiah. There's something to be said about integrity and character. That we are people who do what we say. And we live the way we believe. There has to be something in us that says, no matter what, who sees me or doesn't see me, I'll be integrous. And God honors integrity. Naomi loses her entire family early in the story, but these tragedies don't surprise God. He's not caught off guard by them. He's able to steer Naomi's losses back into restoration. Naomi's dark night of the soul becomes part of God's story, bringing King David into Israel. And we see the blessings of the elders in Ruth chapter 4 and the women of Bethlehem 
who weaves the story of Ruth and Naomi into the great themes that the Messiah would come all the way back in Genesis. And then it concludes this genealogy that very clearly connects King David to the line of judges through Boaz and Ruth. And this is a big message in a, such a short story. And it shows how God is constructing his grand story out of the small, seemingly insignificant, inconsequential stories of everyday people. This little story of intentional, uh, is an intentional part of the larger story of the Bible. And Ruth shows how God is able to work in the day-to-day activities of average people. What I think is so powerful about this story is that each character have, are, 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 is living normal lives, experiencing death of family members, having to move, lack of financial resources, fa- having fa- family responsibilities. Anybody ever experienced any of those things? They are not so much different from us, having to figure out how they're going to pay their bills and how to manage family issues and dynamics and friendships and relationships and take care of things that life is heavy upon them. And even in the middle of it, God is weaving a story of redemption out of their details of ordinary life. And the book of Ruth encourages us to view our day-to-day lives as a part of God's bigger plan for the world. How does this story apply to you? Maybe you look at your life and think, I'm insignificant and small. I don't really matter much. I'm unimportant. I don't have much to offer. Maybe you think you're nothing special. But in the book of Ruth, we see people who seem to be unimportant. And we recognize that they are part of God's big story of redemption. So what you do every day has the potential of being worked into the, to the ministry of God in your lives. And there's nothing insignificant about what you do every day. The story shows us that God can and will use anyone, a widow, an immigrant, a farmer, to bring about his bigger plan into the world. You are not less than in the eyes of God and in the body of Christ. Here's my first point if you're taking notes this morning. First point is this, you are part of God's bigger picture. You are part of God's bigger picture. You are not insignificant, you're not on the sidelines, you're not a spectator, you're in it. So you can play a major role in what God is wanting to do in your family, in your neighborhood, in your city, and in your world. Maybe you're wondering how, how is that possible? How do I play a major role by just doing the laundry or by mowing the yard or Uh, you know, when somebody drops a 20, I pick it up and give it to them instead of pocketing it. How does that matter? You don't know how God is working in the finite details of your life that you think are insignificant or not powerful in that moment. God is working all things out for his good. And I really believe that we can be a part of God's bigger picture for the world by our everyday faithfulness. See, what you do in public and in private matters. People are watching, whether you know it or not. Your family is watching. Your children are watching. Your neighbors are watching. And what you do in public and in private matters. Because that's what integrity is. Your character and your integrity play a part in God moving through you. 
not about how much scripture you know, how much you give. What do you do when no one else is watching is what matters, matters the most for me. And if you want God to move through your life, be a person of integrity and in character. See, if Ruth wasn't loyal and faithful to God and to her mother-in-law, we would not know her name today. If she had said, you know what, I think I will go back to where I'm comfortable. I will go back to my father's house. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where we're going to. I don't know what it's going to be like. I'm, I, I would rather go back. If she wasn't loyal and if she didn't commit herself to God, we would not know her name. She showed integrity. If Boaz was not, was not an honorable man who was loyal and honored God and his commandments and the law, we would not know his name. See, what we do with our faith and our loyalty to others matters to God. And it plays a part in working God's kingdom as it's established in our lives and in our communities. My second point this morning. The first point, you are part of God's bigger picture. The second point, your words and action, actions matter to God. Do you have integrity as followers of Jesus? Is your character strong? One of the sayings that I hate the most, church, is I hear it from people who say this, well, if they're not living right, they're not honoring God, and, I, and, and they're asked about it, they'll say, well, God knows my heart. I hate that saying. Because basically it means this, yeah, I know that I'm doing wrong things, but God knows I love him, so... We're cool. God knows my heart. I think that's a cop-out for integrity and, and, and character. See, the statement is true. God does know your heart. The problem is you don't know your heart. Because the Bible tells us that our heart in Jeremiah chapter 17, that it is deceitfully wicked and sick. And it will lie to you and tell you that you're doing right when you're doing wrong. It'll tell you that you're not as bad as your actions. It'll tell you that lying and cheating is okay as long as you can justify it. God does know your heart, but you don't know your heart. And it's leading you in the wrong direction. It's a problem. Because we lie to ourselves every day. We deceive ourselves all the time, thinking that we're better than we actually are. And that our intentions are just and good when they are not. That's why our world, so many people say, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm decent. No, the Bible says no one is good. No one is good but Jesus. So saying God knows my heart is a cop-out for a lack of integrity. And if we learn anything from the book of Ruth, we learn that God is in the everyday mundane acts and choices that we, that we make, and he decides to work out his plans through our lives. And if we think that we can continue to make wrong choices day in and day out and remain faithful to God, we deceive ourselves. If we can live like hell Monday through Saturday, but come on Sunday and raise our hands, we think God is going to honor that. I don't want two-faced. I don't want to be two-faced. I don't want you to live a two-faced life where you say one thing and you do another. In public, you say one thing, you proclaim one thing, behind closed doors, you're doing something else. God sees. God cares. 
And God is wanting us to be people who are integrous and have character and are loyal to him and to each other. Where we have each other's backs and we care about each other. We care about what, what matters because God says every day matters. Every interaction matters. Every choice matters to God when it comes to choosing to be integrous and to having character or not. And if you're not acting in integrity, how do you get there? Because, look, I believe that all of us are going to have some type of struggle in this. No one is just not, like, batting a thousand here. Right? Sometimes we, we, we shouldn't have done something, and then, uh, yeah, well, do I say anything? Do I not? You know, we kind of go back and forth, and there's a struggle. Look, I understand the struggle. So how do we get to being a people who are integrous, who say and do what we believe? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. First one is this, become accountable to someone. Become accountable to someone. We all need somebody. You know, there, there, is, uh, there are people who are internally motivated, who, th- who just say, I'm going to do it, and they go do it. That's very few of us, by the way. Most of us say, I need somebody to help me do this, right? I am an externally motivated. I need something that I'm reaching out for, and I need somebody else to help me say, you can do it, right? My wife is internally motivated. She says, I'm going to do something. She does it. I'm like, whoa, hold up. How'd you do that so fast? Who helped you, you know? But not a lot of us are made that way. So we need others to help us get to where we want to go. We need it. Just like a... I had to do things in my own life to help me accomplish something that I knew I wouldn't be able to do if I didn't do, uh, if I didn't do it. I don't know if that made sense. So I wanted to, I want to get more fit. So I decided, I told Faith, I'm going to put a gym, a home gym in our garage. And then I'm going to invite neighbors to come work out with me. Because I know myself, if a neighbor invites me over to their garage at 5 a.m., I'm going to be like, I'm hitting snooze, bro. And I'm going to have all the excuses in the world. Man, I'm super, like, sore and achy. I didn't sleep. I had a weird dream. Like, I'm going to have all these excuses. Right, but now it's in my garage, and I know that these guys are depending on me to go down and open up the garage and work out. I'm thinking, i got to get up. They're going to come. They're going to knock on the garage. They're going to be yelling, where are you? You know? And I had to establish something to help me accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. I had to put something in the work in my life to say, I want to get here, but I know I'm struggling to get there. So I need others to come around me, and I need to make sure I don't have a, an out in this. I need to make sure that I, am, uh, I have to be the one that they're depending on to make it happen. And I don't know about you, but that's what I need in my life. And if I'm saying I want to be an integrous person, I want to be a person of character, I want to be a person who says and does what they believe, I want to be a person who's the same behind closed doors or in public, I want to be that kind of person, then what do I need in my life that's going to help me develop in that way? I need accountability. I need somebody who's going to call me. I need somebody that I can call and say, hey, I'm kind of struggling in this area or I'm wrestling today or I got some stuff and would you help me? We need to make a plan like Naomi made a plan. She planned out two times in four chapters. She said, I got a plan. This is what we're going to do. Get, your, get yourself somebody who can make a plan and get you to, to get to the place that you're wanting to grow in. If you want your, your words to match your actions so that God can continue to work through your life in your everyday moments, be accountable to someone. It builds faithfulness and loyalty, which is what God loves. 
How do you build faithfulness and loyalty? Here are a few things that will build your faith and build your loyalty. First one is be a part of a faith community and be faithful to the church. And be faithful if you have a community group, be faithful to that community group. Show up, be on time, be accountable to those people who are around you. It's hard to grow when we see you once a month, once every three months. It's hard to have somebody spur you on in your faith when you, you're not showing up for it. You have some control of your life. The control is, I'm going to show up. What happens after I show up? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen after I show up, but at least I'm going to show up. You want to grow in faith and in loyalty and integrity? Commit yourself to a faith community, to a church, and be faithful. Next, if you want to grow in your faith, read God's word and seek his face in prayer. And if you're having a hard time, ask somebody to read with you or to pray with you. Maybe once a week or maybe even every day if you have somebody close to you that you can do that with. Would you pray with me? Hey, I want to read God's word more. Would you read with me? Build in something into your life that says, I'm trying to get to this place of integrity and character, but I need help. We all need somebody to be accountable to. We all need somebody that's going to have our backs and going to help us. Seek someone that's going to help you make your actions count. And finally, Ask the Holy Spirit to develop you in character and integrity. The Holy Spirit is a helper. He wants to help you become more like Jesus. You're not by yourself in this. It is not in your willpower. If I just try harder, I'm going to be better. No, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want to be like you. Help me be a, a person of character. Help me be a man of character. Help me be a woman of character. That I don't have to have secrets about what I've been doing. I don't have to hide, and I don't have to sneak around, and I don't have to do all these things that I'm ashamed about. I want to be a person who has no, nothing to hide, no secrets. I want to be a person of integrity and character. That's what I want all of us to be. I don't want to give the enemy any foothold or any ground in any of our lives that he can use to pull us down or hang over our heads or tie us up. He doesn't have the right. We only give him that ability. So let's close the door. Amen? Let's close the door on him. So you're not going to come in here. I'm not going to give you a foothold. I'm not going to crack the door open. I'm going to be a person of integrity and character. I'm going to allow the Lord to move in my life and transform me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to live this thing out. And if I'm struggling, I'm going to call somebody. Hey, help me out. I'm not, I can't do this on my own. We need each other. We've got to grow in our faith and our loyalty. Don't believe the lie that your every day doesn't matter to God. Don't believe the lie that your encounters with your spouse and your children and your neighbors don't really matter. If you blow up or you lose your temper or you, you, you neglect or you do whatever, nah, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. No, it matters. It matters. It matters. Those small actions, they matter. God sees them. He sees how you treat your kids and your spouse. He sees your small acts of kindness to the stranger that no one else will know about. Those things that you don't think matter, they matter to him. And he desires your actions to match what you believe. This morning, as we draw our time to a close, 
Uh, Sam, would you come up? I believe that God wants you to be a bigger part of his redemption story in the world. I believe that God wants you to play a role in the salvation of your families and your coworkers and your neighbors and the people at the grocery store and the people at the gas pump. I believe that God wants you to play an integral part in his redemption story in their lives. But he's saying, can I trust you? Can I trust you? It starts by putting your faith and hope in him. And it moves from hope and faith to transforming us to be people who our actions match what we believe. Those who are being baptized today, they're saying just that. They're saying, I want my actions to match what I believe. I want to tell the world that I was dead, but now I'm alive. That I was broken, but now I'm being made whole. That I was lost, but now I've been found. And I asked all of them, why do you want to be baptized? They say, I, I, I want people to know that I am new in Jesus. That I'm committing my life to Jesus. That he's changing me. They're saying, I want my words to match what I believe. My actions to match what I believe. pray that all of us have that desire this morning, that you and I would be people of integrity and character. If we learn anything from Ruth, it's that God works through the ordinary, makes it extraordinary. And you are not unimportant, and you are not small, and you're not insignificant. God sees you, and he says there's great potential in you. There's greatness there that I can put my light in and people can see me through you. That's what he wants to do in us. But he wants us to be people that he can trust, people full of integrity and character. Church, we have to get there because the world is looking for people who not only believe in Jesus, but live him out every day. The world is looking for truth and they're looking for people to demonstrate it. We have to be those people every day. It doesn't mean that there's not grace when we stumble, that there's not mercy when we mess up, but we want to continue to strive for better. We want to continue to strive to be more like Jesus every day. When I get to heaven, I don't want to be smelling like smoke, singeing because I got so close to hell, but I barely made it in. I want to be a, someone who is shining in the brightness of the glory of God when I get to heaven. And I want that for you. And I believe it's possible because the power of the Holy Spirit is here and in you. And he's going to work through you. Amen. So with every head bowed, every eye closed this morning as we conclude our time. Jesus is calling you today. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. The first step to living a life of integrity and character is putting your hope in Jesus. He's the one who can transform you. He's the one 
He can develop what you need in your life. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here under the sound of my voice and you've never given your heart to Jesus, say, God, I want to live for you with all of myself, all of my heart, all of my strength, all of my soul, all of my mind. I want to give it all to you. I don't want to be half-hearted. I don't want to be somebody who says, yeah, I believe, but God knows my heart, and I don't, I'm not really living the way I should. I want to be someone who says, God, I want to know you and live for you. If that's you this morning, you're going to give your life to Jesus, or maybe you gave your life to him a long time ago, but you've not been following him. He's calling you back home today. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm going to give my life to Jesus. One. Two, three, right now. If you want to accept Christ, raise your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to know Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com.